Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What happens when you run into Mothman? Do aliens come and take us after we die? Do all dogs go to heaven? Welcome to the 1026th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app, from TalkStream Live, and on YouTube. That was Ben Eno, and I'm Valerie Lofaso here to help things along. Paul is here with us, too, coming in via Skype. Hi, folks. Well, well it is open lines today, so everybody knows what that means. We we take a bunch of questions, and we, we do our best to answer those questions. And sometimes, more often than not, they are open-ended, but we do the best that we can. And so I guess we'll we'll hop right into it. And we'll, we'll start with one from, from our, our local listening area here in the beautiful Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And, uh, we'll, we'll start with that. This is, uh, Laura writing to us. Have you seen any evidence, uh, that animals in general, uh, you know, and, and pets in particular, uh, have a heaven or hell? Would you like to start there, Valerie? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, that's a great question. And my answer today is going to be very different than it probably would have been, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Um, from what I have learned over my years of investigating, researching and working as as a medium, I don't believe in heaven and hell. Um, I don't believe that exists for the energies of any souls, whether it's human or animal. Um, that being said, though, I have experienced, and I know lots of people who have experienced animal hauntings, um, especially pets who are very special to somebody. They tend to come back and make themselves known. Sometimes they play with other pets in the home. Sometimes you just see them running by. Um, so that would indicate that some conscious form of them does live on after they pass away. But I think where they go is, you know, that's that's the question that we keep trying to answer over and over again, and it's uh, it's it's a tough one to really nail down an answer for still. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, but I do I do think that that is real. It, it is interesting. I, I remember hearing a long time ago that there. Well, not a long time ago. It was probably like in a, in a lecture I heard forever ago. There was this uh, this Greek guy. Um, named Gregory from uh, Palamas, and then eventually became called St. Gregory Palamas because people didn't put of for whatever reason. And um, he had this really interesting idea because I think some kid walked up to him after, like, you know, church and was like, did like what happens to my dog when he dies? And he was like, oh, that's interesting. Keep in mind, this is like the 13th century. So it's like, so he was like, well, you know, it's like, you know, people have souls animals have a different type of soul so they you know some something happens there and and it's like you know it's it's possible and it was a really interesting idea and i i heard someone expand on it a little bit more at some point in time because there's this idea called called theosis which is essentially you know you become god god became man so that man could become like god and it's the act of becoming like god right and it's like okay cool well that's an interesting idea but how does that work and someone used the example of, um, you know, you have pets, right? And you, you hang out with your pets, and you notice that they take on a lot of your characteristics. And and it's like, you know, I, I have two really goofy cats. 
Um, one of them, you know, they both like to sleep a lot, which I don't know what that says about me personally, but they, they like sleeping a lot. They're very friendly, you know, but they're a little skittish and they have anxiety problems. So <laughs> this is going to sound very weird, but that's very similar to me. And, um, you know, I'm a very friendly person, but I do, you know, I, I can get kind of anxious about stuff and stressed out and, and whatever. And, and it's, I, I look at my cats and I'm like, you know, they do a lot of the same things that I do, and it's it's uh, <laughs> it's disconcerting. But through seeing that, it's like, okay, well, by us hanging out with our cats all the time, or, you know, whatever pet, they become more and more like us. And in a way, that's almost like sort of a, a, a pattern for that, that same idea. You know, the more we, we hang out and do certain things, we become like that thing. And it's the same, it's that sort of same idea of, you know, we pattern our lives in a certain way, and then we have a certain result at the end of it. You know, whether it's heaven, hell, whatever, you know, at the end of the day, ugh, I, I, per, I personally don't know. I'd like to think that there's, that there's some, something, some sort of like, you know, our, our pets go somewhere cool. You know, they've, they've been, good boys, girls, whatever, and you, you, you want the best for them because they become like a little extension of yourself and a part of your, your world and your environment. And it's like, you know, I'll say this, <laughs> this is probably a horrible thing to say to my wife, but like every so often I'll be like, Oh, I'm going to be so sad when they die. And she's like, stop, don't say that. <laughs> Cause they matter a lot. You know, they, they do, they matter a lot to us. And you know, at the end of the day, we don't really know, but we know the effect that they have on our lives, and our effect on their lives is is very significant. So I can't give you a definitive answer, one way or another, Laura. But what I can tell you is that you know, through participating in in the, you know the world with your with your pet as your your companion or whatever, you know, as you, as they become more like you, you know, through you know. I don't want to say osmosis, it's not the right word, but you know, you know what I mean. It, through, you know, hanging out with you and, and kind of taking on those characteristics and, and expanding upon themselves in a way, there's, there's that really interesting sort of portion to it that is patterned after ourselves. So, you know, perhaps if there is a heaven or a hell and they go, and they go in that direction, I'd like to think that there's something there, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and really, it just kind of comes down to you know how how you treat others, I suppose. And if you know you're good to your animals, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume they'll be good to other people. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to laugh. It's just I'm trying to think of a way to to like explain this where it doesn't sound too goofy. And it, it's kind of coming across that way, but you know animals are kind of goofy at times. So I guess that's really the best answer I can kind of come up with. It is challenging when you talk about animals, though. I actually have. A story, if I can share it, that kind of, I don't know if this is going to back up anything that, that we've said or not. Yeah, sure, go but, for it. Um, I had a cat who um, was, he was a fluffy orange part Maine Coon cat that I was very, very connected to. Like, Ooh. he was my my cat. And um, I was going through a period where he was waking me up every night, multiple times a night, you know, meowing at me pawing at me, climbing on me, and I was not sleeping well. And this was going on for weeks, and I was really, really tired and really, really frustrated that he was not letting me sleep. So finally I reached out to a friend who is a trusted and skilled animal communicator and asked her if she would check in with the cat to find out what was going on because I needed sleep, and 
I was afraid of what might happen if I couldn't get a good night's sleep soon. And the story she came back with was that the soul that was in this cat in another life had been my daughter. And he, the cat, was reliving my death from when we were mother-daughter. And so he was waking me up to make sure I was still alive, is Hmm. what she told me. And I thought that was fascinating. I didn't quite know what to make of it. Um, But I sat down and had a conversation with the cat saying, look, this is a different scenario. I'm a different person. I'm young. I'm healthy. You have nothing to worry about. So please let me sleep. And that night, I finally got a good night's sleep. He didn't wake me up, and it wasn't an issue after that. So, you know, I don't know what to make of that. It, It's just I've, I've always thought that that was just too much of a coincidence. <laughs> so hmm. That is really interesting. I, I remember hearing somewhere, I think it was some, I don't know, my, I think my, my wife saw it in a video or something and was explaining it to me, that, you know, when, when cats... That cats don't sleep like we do. You know, they kind of like take little naps or whatever. They sleep like 15 hours a day, but it's kind of in like little intervals. And they can, cons- they, there's like this interesting theory that cats consider us just big cats kind of living in their colony rent free. And, um, you know, they'll, they'll, like, I know my cats, they, uh, they, they, they like sleeping all over me. And it's, it's, it's adorable, but also incredibly annoying. And, um, my orange cat, Linus, will come up and he'll just like sit on me and just like stare at me. And, and like purr and like lick my face with, like to wake me up. And it's, it's very, it's, it's very cute, but it's also incredibly annoying. And I'm like, dude, stop. <laughs> but apparently cats think you're, you're dead if you sleep for more than a few hours. So they get like really antsy. And so they'll like, climb all over you. And that, that's really interesting that, that, that sort of dynamic is played into it in such a way because that, that does, <laughs> and it stopped, which is even more interesting because right. it's, huh. Interesting. And it stopped that night. It wasn't like it didn't take a couple days. It was after we talked, he was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so long story short, make sure you sit your cat down and have a have a conversation with them. Exactly. Tell them what you want. Exactly. <laughs> Let them know your expectations. <laughs> it's just like any 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 relationship. You gotta you gotta lay out the expectations. And in this case, it's just <laughs> I need sleep. Which is not too different from some other relationships. Anyway, we can we can move on to something completely different. Um, and this is from Linda in uh, Dow's New Mexico, writing to us, uh, saying, I hear a lot about Bigfoot and UFOs being seen together or near each other, uh, including on your show, uh, but not so much here in the Southwest. So what is the connection, if any? Is Bigfoot an alien, a ghost, or uh, are aliens giant, hairy, and smelly? Or are or you know are they close but no cigar? So what do you think, Val? I mean that's a great question. Um, I've never been to the Southwest, unfortunately. I hope to get there sometime sooner rather than later. It's neat. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like an, an amazing landscape. Um, but from from my experience, there is a lot of overlap of ghosts, UFOs, aliens, and even Bigfoot. Um, you know, we always joke, you know, my, my circle of paranormal people, you know, we joke about how, you know, we all got into this for one particular thing. Like for me, it was ghosts. And once you do that, you go down the rabbit hole and find out there's a thousand more rabbit holes and they're all connected. 
and you never know which you know which way is up once you go down these rabbit holes because mm. you do find that where there's a lot of ghost activity there's often a lot of paranormal activity um also these are things that we may not have a lot of context for so what one person calls a ufo maybe what somebody else calls an orb and you know, that person might consider an orb a ghost and the other person an orb a UFO. So I think there's there's a lot of complexity with terminology and, you know, trying to put into context these experiences that are outside of the normal and paranormal. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point because it, it is it is kind of hard to define your terms in this sense because in a very broad sense, right, you could say that Bigfoot is an alien because it's something entirely quote unquote other from from our our you know our known world. We'll put it that way because it's you know you could make the argument that there's a whole other portion of the world that we don't see, and there's this this idea I, I've mentioned it a couple of times. On the show, and I, I might have, I might have mentioned it when we when we did our, our show about Mothman uh, not too long ago, which is the idea of sort of society as being concentric circles, right? So in the center of the sort of city, right, you have sort of everything you know in order, and then the further out you go from those circles, the kind of more sort of you know disordered, chaotic, etc. You know they are, and then finally you get into like the 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 wilderness where all the monstrous things live, because it's not too often. Um, well, it's not entirely too often, but nine times out of ten, you'll hear that you know most sort of sightings of you know any sort of you know UFO or UAP, whatever whatever alphabet soup you want to use, um, or you know Bigfoot or anything like that. Typically, it's on the outskirts of society. It's on the outskirts in the wilderness somewhere, and and this idea of the unknown kind of being there in this sense. And it's it's not too, you know, far-fetched to think that, you know, anything that's outside in the unknown could be any one of these things. And I think it's important that, you know, we find context, as you mentioned, because, you know, if you, you see a shimmering figure under, you know, a big metal ball outside, aha, an alien. You know, you see a shimmering figure inside a house, aha, a ghost. And and I, I think it's a, the the personal experience is is one that shouldn't be discounted because really it's I, I'm, I wasn't there I didn't experience any of it you know and it's I think that that's incredibly important and to kind of get get back a, a little bit off of off of this like little rabbit hole I, I suppose it's it's the answer is kind of yes to all of those and no to all of those because we really don't know much and it, depending on who you talk to you'll you'll get a number of different answers that you know bigfoot is a biological entity that you know is just really good at hide and seek and you know stays in in the depths of the of the woods which is you know it's entirely possible you know um you get sort of like anecdotal evidence of bigfoot walking out of uaps in a few different cases you know you, you can make the argument that you know, they're interdimensional creatures as well as, as aliens kind of moving between the worlds in sort of a, in sort of a multiversal manner. Um, wow, really didn't mean to do that alliteration right there, but you know, we'll keep it. And, and it's, 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 it's hard to define because you could even argue that it could be a flap area as well where there happens to be multiple different phenomena going on at the same time. You know, it may not just be, 
you know, Bigfoot, but it could also be, you know, upright canine cryptids or skinwalkers, you know, in the American Southwest or, you know, there all sorts of different things that could be playing off of each other in sort of this, this sort of, you know, paranormal playground, another alliteration. Didn't mean to do that. Um, but it's, it's all, all these things that are kind of going on at the same time. And it's, it's really hard to kind of break them apart because they're all part of that same, that same sort of web of interactions that we have. And, you know, like you were saying, Val, it's like, you know, you get into these for different reasons, but all these rabbit holes kind of lead down and connect. And it's, it's true. And it's all part of sort of the same sort of thing. And there's this objective reality that's there that we can't quite see. And we all have subjective experiences of it. And we know that there's something going on, but how it's experienced by different people is is how we're kind of getting it. And I think that's the important part, is that all of these are kind of a unified story of this kind of mythos that we've we've been a part of for the last, uh, you know, 70, 80 years now, where, you know, we're trying our best to kind of use what we know to suss out the mysteries of the paranormal and these things that are on the outskirts of our society. And so, you know, one man's, you know, Bigfoot is another man's alien, depending on the context. And it's like, you know, we have these sort of loose terms. Like, we know Bigfoot, you know, as as Laura said, is, um, oh, sorry, Linda, as Linda said, you know, okay, giant, hairy, and smelly, right? But you could argue that perhaps there's also aliens that are giant, hairy, and smelly in these very loose sort of categories that we've we've made for it that really only fit into very specific circumstances. And so it's 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 hard to figure out exactly what it is only because we don't have the right terms for it. And so we're doing our best <laughs> to kind of suss it out, but there's you know there's only so much we can do. You know, all we have is is some what somebody experienced, maybe some pictures. Maybe, you know, some, some, you know, soil samples or something. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, may not be experienced in the Southwest, but it doesn't mean there aren't other things that are happening as well. And I think that that's, that's kind of the key is not, not to get hung up on, okay, well, you know, you guys are saying, you know, aliens, UFOs and, and Bigfoot are all kind of happening at the same time, but we're not having that. You could be having aliens, UFOs, ghosts, aliens, UFOs, canine cryptids, aliens, UFOs, and, you know, God knows what dinosaurs. Who knows? You know, it's, it's not the first time we've heard it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it's it could be a lot of different things, and it's 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 very easy to get hung up on. Well, it's like a flowchart, and it's it's really not. It's kind of more just like you know, you throw a bunch of stuff at a wall, and maybe sometimes it'll connect. And I think that that's the, that's the thing is you look for the connections between the other phenomena that's going on, not just one thing, but all things. Well, and speaking of connections, I feel like this is a a good segue into um, the question from Phil from Savannah. Oh, right. Yes. Do you want want me to read that one? Yeah, please. All right. So Phil writes, hello, Paul and Ben. A few weeks ago, I was awakened at 3.05 a.m. by a voice that clearly shouted, stop haunting me. I have never been awakened by a voice in all my life. This one sounded as if it were pleading. It projected a sense of being scared and not angry. Is it possible that I or we can be inadvertently entering other realms without knowing it at all? I mean, I have no intention of haunting someone from another reality. How can I stop bothering this guy? I am hesitant to try to talk to the voice because I do not want to have it attached to me. The world boundaries in Savannah seem to be rather thin. 
Hmm. What do you think, Ben? Um, well, I know exactly what my dad would say, and the answer is 100% yes, that you can you can definitely be haunting somebody in a different world without knowing it. You know, the way that the that the membranes tend to bleed into into one another, it's entirely possible that um, one could be, you know, haunting somebody else without them knowing it. I mean, I know my dad has 100% seen it. Um, I'm vaguely familiar with it. I, I think it's an interesting concept. But the other side of the coin is, um, you know, you can't really take it at face value either because it could be something trying to trick you. It could be something else, a, you know, something that's that's trying to engage you and, and get you thinking about something because, yeah, s- s- certain things have happened to me where I can I can kind of point out that, um, you know, it's it's not – it's. I don't. I don't want to say it's isolated. I think it's. I think it's entirely possible that it could be, you know, a parasite or something negative, trying to, um, you know, get your attention and, and get you in, involved and try and take advantage of you and lower your guard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Or it could it, it could be some poor soul that you you happen to be haunting inadvertently. You know, that's that's kind of the thing. We have, we have to kind of keep a level head when it comes to this and not kind of take it at face value because there should be some sort of discernment in the way in which you approach this. So, I mean, if, if the, if the feeling is there that, you know, perhaps it is, it is pleading, it's, it's, it's not trying to trick you, you know, maybe the the course of action is to just kind of, you know, meditate and project a sort of peace or, or, Try and find find ways to you know sort of relax the environment, depending on your spiritual persuasion. If you like saging, smudging, etc., maybe that's an idea. Um, but personally, I would I would just not I wouldn't I personally wouldn't engage with it. That's just my my opinion, only because you know I don't trust things as far as I can throw them, because it's uh it, it's it's you can you can fall into traps, and it's an and I think that that's. Yeah, that's kind of my my two cents on it. What do you think, Val? Um, you know, my, the sticking point for me in this question is that he was sound asleep and the voice, you know, yelled to stop haunting me. So what would he have, like, how is him laying in bed disturbing somebody? Oh, yeah, good point. You know, I had an experience in a house. It was just myself and um, and a man. And I got up in the middle of the night, shut the bathroom door, and heard a female voice say hello very clearly and you know in that case i felt like i was disturbing somebody in another realm where you know the the wall between us was just thin that night and they heard a door shut and were startled by it you know but i was actively up and doing something so this begs the question what was he doing if anything to disturb this person or was it as you said, something else trying to trick him. Because mm. um, that, yeah, what else is going on in Phil's life? Um, that's that's a, a great point. Um, yeah, what else is going on on in his life that could affect this? Um, that's is a, a point, great Dad. question from from Paul. Yeah. Um, you know, is he projecting himself out of his body when he sleeps and he doesn't know it and he is walking around in another realm? Um, if that is something that that he's doing and it can be done inadvertently, but he can, you know, before when he gets into bed at night, you know, put a sort of protective 
energetic bubble around himself and, and ask, you know, that he, you know, if I was him, say, you know, please let me stay in my body tonight. I, I do not want to travel to other realms tonight. You know, put up a boundary um, and have the have the strong intention because intention is everything when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's an interesting scenario that he experienced. It is, and it's, and I can imagine that that's a little disconcerting, um, especially if you're again trying to sleep. The, I think that's sort of the unconscious theme of the show is sleep. Um, <laughs> it seems that way. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. I made a funny too. Um, but on that note, uh, it is time for our mid-show break, where we will definitely not be asleep. Uh, so we'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, with our wonderful guest co-host Valerie Lafaso. We'll be right back. When you're thinking about a place to go out to eat with your family or the whole gang or maybe something quieter for just the two of you, head over to ON Radio's website, OneSocketRadio.com, and click on the restaurant guide. This gives you a listing of the best restaurants in the area. You can take a look at menus and possibly even make reservations. This is a great resource to see a bunch of restaurants all in one place. Remember, it's OneSocketRadio.com and click on Restaurant Guide. And if you own a restaurant that's not already listed, call WOON Radio at 401-762-1240 for information on how your restaurant can be on the Restaurant Guide. Call Joe at 401-762-1240. You can depend on us for public service. ON Radio. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our wonderful guest co-host, Valerie Lafaso, And we are taking listener questions on an open line show today here in Rhode Island's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And uh, we were just talking about um, Phil from Savannah, our loyal listener, who always sends in wonderful questions and his kind of disconcerting experience um, with being awoken in the night by someone saying, stop, please stop haunting me, which, un- yeah, the, the poor guy, I'm so sorry, Phil, that is not, that is not fun. And now, I, I it dawns on me that, you know, I, I wonder if this is an isolated incident or if, if stuff like this has happened in the past. I, I would be curious to know if there were other things going on as well, you know, if there was any other sort of activity in your home or, you know, as my dad said, you know, over, over uh, Skype chat there that, you know, you if there's anything else going on in your life that's affecting things. I think that, um, you know, that's, that's definitely sort of next steps is, okay, well, what else is going on? Um, yeah, he, good point, Dad. My dad just said, uh, might not have been, been meant for him either. So it might not have been meant for you. Who knows, you know? Um, but keep us updated. That is something incredibly interesting that I think would be, would definitely be on par with, uh, you know, the sort of the, the Savannah environment. And this kind of leads perfectly into our next question from Carrie um, in Red Oak, Texas. Wow, a lot of great segues today. Um, who writes, uh, I have heard you say you should not try to communicate with ghosts or other entities, uh, but what happens if they try to communicate with you? Do you ignore them or what? What do you think, Valerie? You know, I think it's it's definitely a personal personal preference, I would say if you are going to respond, do so very, very carefully. Um, You know, bottom line is we don't know what these things are. We do know that there are harmful things out there that are trying to trick you and maybe don't have the best of intentions. Um, Friend of all of ours, Andy Kitt, um, Mm. used to, used to, 
um, give this analogy a lot that, you know, whenever you do any type of spirit communication or what you think is spirit communication, it's like being in the middle of New York City, opening up your window and shouting, hey, who wants to come talk to me? You know, who, who do you think is going to respond, the normal people or the weird people? Yeah, right. That's <laughs> a good know, point. But, um, you know, so you definitely you have to be cautious. Um, you know, as, as speaking as a medium, you know, I am still very cautious about what and who I am connecting with. I ask a lot of questions. Um, I do have trusted spirit guides that I work with to help me with discernment. But there are things out there that are trying to trick us. Mm. And and so communication should be done carefully and responses should be taken, if you get any, with a big grain of salt. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same same boat. Um, I uh, when I when I was mentoring with um, my uh, my my old my old mentor who's a at you know Aztec shaman. Um, his whole thing was, he, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase and I'm, I'm probably going to do it very badly. But um, his his sort of general overall overall sort of lesson that he taught me about anything that 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 sort of comes from another place is you have to be really careful with how you interpret things that's like he was like that's like the big thing is interpretation and um i I really i really took that to to heart because you know discernment is a skill not a lot of people lack uh, not a lot of people have nowadays and it's 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 incredibly important because you have to really like mull over sort of what you're getting you know much as as one kind of has to keep an eye on on your thoughts and how how you're feeling and, and things going on and kind of being aware of yourself you kind of have to be aware of how you're processing stuff and um i personally think that it's it's um it's it takes i think it takes a lot of a lot of tra- training and and discipline to be able to kind of you know pick apart messages because sometimes it can lead to some real real bad real bad places if if you you know some you have this whole thing where oh you know a great cosmic entity is taking interest in me and that's really cool when I'm like the chosen one and ah and it can like really 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 like you can really throw you in some some real weird directions and it doesn't it does not go very <laughs> doesn't go great a lot of the time um and it can lead lead you down some real dark paths and and it's it's important to to kind of keep an eye on yourself and I think the the best part well the the be, the best thing best defense is to kind of know yourself and and know you know what what you what you can be tricked by and you know be careful of of any sort of messages you receive if you receive anything at all. It, I my sort of thing is if if you have no training this whatsoever, you know, going out and grabbing yourself, you know, a ghost box or something and running out to your nearest graveyard is probably not the best thing that you should do because that can that's probably you know not a great idea because. I, I kind of agree with Andy that it's 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 just not it's just not not great and so I I, th- I I'm very reticent to tell anybody yeah go ahead and communicate with them I mean even with like Phil that we were just talking to I was like I wouldn't it's like you know take stock of everything else that's going on around you before you even do anything else because that's the important thing is understanding yourself and what's around you and before you know Valerie I trust you. <laughs> But I, I don't trust some some random person who you know is oh someone's talking to me in the night you know right before I fall asleep and they're saying that you're saying all these things and it's like uh, I don't know that's I wouldn't trust it because it's you know you have to really kind of be careful with the messages that you receive and 
you have no clue who you're talking to. That's why I'm not a huge fan of Ouija boards because it's like, you know, you don't know who you're talking to. They can tell you all sorts of stuff. Doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And if they do, and if it, if it does happen to be true, you know, can you trust it? And nine times out of ten, you can't because that can, again, lead to some very, very dark places. So that's kind of my, that's all I have to say about that. It's very Forrest Gump of me. Didn't, <laughs> but that's all I have to say about that. And that kind of leads us again perfectly into the into the next question, which is uh, Carl from Worcester, Massachusetts, not too far from here. And Carl writes, um, "Your whole idea about parasites and other supernatural critters." Up, oh, there's a. Well, we'll get there when we get there, Dad. Um, anyway, Carl writes to us, "Your whole idea about parasites and other supernatural critters uh, is really cool." Uh, well, thank you. It's not really cool, but thank you. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of terrifying. Uh, if if these are are not really spirits, or at least not completely, um, can they and do they die? Uh, would that include angels? What are angels? Uh, would it be better during uh, during an exorcism to kill the demon instead of just kicking it out? That's well, that's a lot of a lot of really deep and pondering questions there. Would you you want to start us off there, Val? Yeah, and you know I'm gonna preface this by saying that I am not a scientist. I am not a physicist. (laughs) Um, However, I do believe strongly that, you know, these entities, whatever they are, are made up of energy. And of course, what is energy? That's, you know, that's a very complex question that we probably don't have time to answer today. But, you know, we do understand that this energy cannot be created nor destroyed. So I don't believe that a soul, an entity, a parasite, a quote-unquote demon can be killed the way our human bodies can be killed. Um, Can they maybe eventually break down and take other forms? Possibly. I don't know. know, I think potentially that's that's an option. Um, But... I rather think that all of these these things that, that we encounter have a purpose. <clears throat> we can't always see the purpose. So while we might say, well, that thing was evil and we need to kill it, who are we to make that decision? Um, you know, I'm not sure that's, that's up for us to, to make that decision, even if we know how, mm. um, which, of course, I don't think we do at this point. <laughs> That's a, it's, it's such a complex question. Um, the angel part is, is interesting. I have encountered beings that I believe are some type of angel and I, I would not do anything to harm them. Um, they were powerful and beautiful. Um, but not with any ill intent. What do you think, Ben? Um, well, are you familiar with mantis shrimp? I am. We had one in our fish tank at my day job, and it killed a whole bunch of really cool fish. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I learned something really interesting about them because uh, their eyes are like I think they're they're super interesting, right? They they see twelve channels of color, and for prefer or for reference, humans see three. We only see three channels of color, but mantis shrimp see twelve, including ultraviolet, and. It's amazing because they probably see colors that we don't even know exist. I mean, the color blue didn't exist until about 2,000-ish years ago. Um, up until that point, 
they everyone just kind of thought the sky was gray and that or gray or white and that was about it and there's a really interesting experiment that um anthropologists did where they went to these remote tribes in i want to say it was africa and they they brought along the color blue and they were showing to them and they were like this is blue and they were like what do you mean that's white and they like didn't quite get it and they it was super interesting and this is important because i I think one of the things that that um I know this may may differ from you, Father, and I I do I I apologize. I I think that just as we don't know how a mantis shrimp sees things, we do not know you know how an angel exists or or parasites or demons or what have you. You know there there's no way to really preface it. I mean, angel at its its basest definition is just you know uh, a word for for a messenger. And really the only person in history who even attempted to, to define them was this guy named Pseudo-Dionysius in, in Greece in like the uh, – I want to say it was in like the first century. It was it was a long time ago and he, he had these really interesting categories but like each one of them was just like you know very vague and they had to do with like the virtues and his – Oddly, very influenced by by Aristotle, I'm going to take a swing and a guess at. So you know, it, but it's interesting because they weren't like you know people in a sense. You know, we we do our best to kind of describe them through through art, which is you know one of the four ways that we you know organize reality. Um, and but at the same time, it's like you know, just as we don't know what a mantis shrimp sees, we don't know what it's like to be an angel, a mantis shrimp, you know, a demon, a parasite. You know, they're, they're loose definitions for things that, you know, we all experience from time to time. And it's, it's a portion, it's a part of our, our existence because these are things that have sort of recurred throughout human history, right? You know, one man's parasite is another man's demon. And, and how it's approached, you know, I, I, um, I, I don't really know if there's a way to destroy them. I don't, I don't, I don't, not that I know of because, again, I'm just a human. You know, I don't know what it's like to be an angel or a demon. Um, you know, I, I have ideas through stories, but no clue, you know, it's like, um, that, that whole, uh, thing by Thomas Nagel, the philosopher, the phenom, well, the philosopher in, in phenomenology and how we experience things like, you know, can we, he wrote this whole book called, um, you know, what is it like to be a bat? And, uh, essentially he came to the conclusion that, well, we don't know what it's like to be a bat. All we know what it's like is to be a human consciousness in a bat body. And so, you know, we can do the bat things like fly around, use echolocation, but we don't know what it's like to be a bat. We just know how to be a human in a bat body. And it's like, oh, cool, I'm a bat. And it's like, well, I'm pretty sure bats don't think that. They probably just ee, and that's really it, and and eat bugs and and sleep during the day. That's really all we know about them. Well, we know more than that, but you know, the the, the base level is, you know, this is this is. We we don't know what it's like to be them, so I, I think it's that's a very important thing is you know we to recognize a how little we know and b you know how little we can probably know. All we know is what we've experienced of them, and you know personally speaking, um, my experiences are a little bit more subtle in, in a in a way you know at least recently. And I, I think that comes down to just life experience because I, I don't go out and look for the things. You know, it's it's I don't find myself doing as many cases as I, as I once did. So it's just kind of like a part of daily life, pers- as personally anyway. Um, so I I believe that there's really 
I don't really, I don't really know. At the end of the day, it is can we destroy them? You know, do we even understand what exorcisms are? You know, different traditions do different things, and I, I think at the end of the day, it's like understanding our our own sort of cosmology is is very hard to do because everybody kind of interprets things differently. I mean, the patterns of them are the same. You know, the sort of loose framework is relatively the same if you if you kind of look around. Um, but we all kind of experience it differently, depending on your a cultural your cultural background and and what you've experienced and all of that stuff. So I mean, uh, I I I don't know if if they can die. I would you know I I would assume that no I can't really assume anything. That's not really fair to do because you know I have no idea, and I think that's really all I can say about it is you know. Just as I don't know what it's like to be a mantis shrimp, don't know what it's like to be an angel, demon, parasite, etc. I think that's fair. Yeah, fair enough, as they say. Um, yeah, so this is this is really, really, really interesting. Um, but I guess actually, before we hop on to the next question, there, Val, I'm gonna give you a little mm-hmm. bit of time to tell us tell us about yourself, your books, where people can find out more about you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sure. Thank you. Um, so I, the best place to find me right now is on Facebook. I do have a, a work-in-progress website, but on Facebook you can find me under Valerie Lofaso, author and empathic medium. I have four books in the Tangled Web of Friends Young Adult Paranormal Fiction series published. They are available on all online booksellers. They are um, available in ebook as well as in print. And I do have a workbook for anybody who is an empath who is interested in developing their intuition. It's it's a do-at-your-own-pace workbook for, for developing your intuition as an empath. That is available only through me, so reach out to me through, through Facebook if you're interested. Hmm, neat. Well, I guess that kind of leads us perfectly, well, sort of perfectly, into our next question. So much for perfect segues. We're doing our best, though. Um, so this is from uh, Megan from uh, uh, Boardman, Oregon, um, which is kind of neat. This is the you know the podcast stats say that we have uh, three thousand four hundred thirteen listeners out of a population of uh, forty five hundred, which is kind of neat, kind of cool that that you know three quarters of a town listens to us. So many thanks to Boardman, Oregon. Uh, Megan asks us, uh, Paul and Ben uh, and Valerie. Uh, I love your I love your books and your show and and many of your your words uh, haunt me. I think about your very scary statement and I can't remember where I heard you say it, uh, but <clears throat> the statement goes as follows: uh, that the human race could have been engineered as food for parasites. Uh, that we are a cattle race. This is depressing, but I wonder if it is all too true given what we are seeing around us in the world right now. It seems like the mistrust, hate, suffering, and general negativity is perfect to sustain parasites. Uh, it is like we are made to feed them. Can you all comment? Yeah, what do you think, Val? Ooh, that's that's a heavy, heavy, heavy statement right yeah. now. Yeah, we like to keep it light, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I appreciate the question. I I personally I don't think that we are necessarily created to be food for them. I think it's evolved to be that way, but I do think that we have a certain amount of control over how much we participate in that. Um, You know, I am a believer that happiness is a choice Mm. and you choose it. And by choosing it, you look for it. And by looking for it, you see it more and more. And I think, 
you know, I, I think even Paul has told the story of using a joke book to, you know, work against some of these, these entities, you know, because joy and laughter and happiness, um, you know, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for the depression, the infighting, you know, the backbiting, you know, all the negativity that is happening. Um, but that being said, I also, I'm, I'm going to put on my optimist hat here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that the majority of our world is as negative and awful as it seems. I think that the negative side of things is just loud. And so it seems like there's more of it. But I think the good, the kind, the joyful, I think there's a lot more of that. And I think we are winning, personally. That's my that's where I'm at with all of that. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, a slightly different spin on things. There I I think that the statement that um that Megan here is is saying there's uh there's a little bit of context that's missing from it and and the theory comes from um our book Behind the Paranormal Everything You Know is Wrong um which is that you know you have you know you go to the great you go to the British Museum and and they uh they, there's this whole section of like gods and goddesses or whatever and then you go to this other room and it's all these ugly weird little little back backyard deities or whatever and you know asking for human sacrifices and stuff and it's like who could love you know a, a god like that and the the theory was uh that you know that parasites or whatever wormed their way into to human culture and asked for things and controlled things etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and, and I, I, I remember hearing my dad saying that and getting kind of into that, and I, I thought about it for a really long time, and I, I spent a good, a good portion of, of time, you know, maybe a few, you know, year or two ago, where I was getting really into, like, ancient, you know, cosmology in, like, the Mediterranean, because it is really kind of fascinating, especially if you listen to anything from, like, you know, the Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia or anything like that, the Assyrians, like, um, our, our boy, uh, Hammurabi, right, you know, everybody remembers, remembers him for the, you know, the, the, Code of Hammurabi, and he had this big, you know, monolith that was like, you know, eye for an eye, blah 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 blah, and um, it was like a huge deal. But the thing about Hammurabi is that you know he's mentioned in a lot of and a couple of other whoop, historical texts up to and including um, the Old Testament, and he he essentially yeah, you know, there's this whole other thing going on behind it where there were these sort of entities called the Anunnaki that supposedly came up from the ocean, and they were these fish-headed people, very Lovecraftian. Um, that kind of gave him advice, and we're like, yeah, you should do X, Y, and Z, and we'll give you great power and and all of that stuff. And he was like, okay, sick. And so he went off and, and was trying to conquer a bunch of things, and ended up getting you know you know getting kicked out of you know wherever he was later on in time. But this isn't the only time that we hear stories of this. You know, the gods coming down and messing with people, or like you know appearing and 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 doing certain things. And you wonder, like, okay, well, you know, you hear stories of, like, Zeus or, or Hercules, and they don't sound like good people. You know, it's like Hercules, like, murdered all of his children, and there's nothing like the Disney movies, you know, saying, you know, they were all, they all kind of were, they all kind of sucked, really, at the end of the day. <laughs> and and you wonder, because you're like, wow, how did people get into this? And and you, you think about it, and it's like, well, you know, what did we have to gain from it? And the idea was that, 
um, and I, I heard this this in a really fascinating lecture series that was talking about, you know, why did they have statues of gods and goddesses? And there was this ritual that was done that was called the opening of the nostrils. And it was pretty much universal throughout most Mediterranean cultures. And uh, you could see it in a lot of other places as well. Where essentially, you know, they, they did this ritual where they would, they would burn certain things around these statues. And the idea was that they would catch these spirits and, and ha- they would inhabit the statue. And so they would, they would then, once they, they captured said spirit, right, they would then have to take care of the statue, clothe it, you know, feed it. And, you know, it's like, well, how would you feed that? And that's what the burning of, like, food and stuff was for, cakes and all that. Because the idea was that, you know, if you're wandering around the desert and you encounter some cosmic entity and you don't want to die, you know, you offer it food. And the idea was that they, they ate through smoke. That was, like, the whole thing. Which sounds dumb, but if you think about it, why do we smudge? You know, why, like, what's the point of burning incense? You know, it's like, it, it's it's still there, but, you know, it, it's it's like, okay, well, you know, they, they must have been, like, crazy, or they were just seeing weather and stuff, and it's like, well, no, you know, what did they get out of it by doing all these things? They got control, and that was the thing, because heroes back in the day were not heroes because they were good people. They were heroes because they exerted control over the world. So guys like Gilgamesh or, you know, you know Julius Caesar, it's like they weren't considered, you know, heroes because they were good guys. They were heroes because they, you know, exerted their control over the world. And that's really important because I'm getting getting back to your question here, Megan, because it does <laughs> it sounds like I'm veering way off course. Um I I would say that as as much as it is that I wouldn't say that we were engineered for it per se, I would say that there's a temptation for us to do that in exchange for something. And and the exchange is a promise of power, right? And it's like, you know, we experience this on a day-to-day basis and you know, you can arguably call it your conscience, which is like, okay, well, you know, I could be a nice guy and let this guy go in traffic or I could just kind of say, "Eh, no," and just keep going forward and you know it's little decisions like that where you're like oh well that's just a moral conundrum you know it doesn't really matter and it's like no you're exerting control over your world which we all we all want to do you know deep down what we're trying to to control what little bits of reality we can you know we have these you know fan, fanciful little smartphones and that's essentially its whole job is to help us exert control over reality in exchange for what our time, our energy, and all of these things are exchanges for power. And I would argue that with parasites, it's the same deal. Because you you exchange a sort of, you know, willingness to give up a little freedom for a little bit of power. You know, whatever that power may be. You know, even if it's just, you know, oh, cool, a cosmic entity is paying attention to me, and they're making me feel good about myself. And, you know, you but you're giving up your time, your energy... You're giving up, you know, a portion of your life to an entity that is is feeding off of it. And what's the difference between that and sacrificing something to, you know, an idol of Zeus? You know, if you think about it, it's really not that different. So, again, another example of how, you know, humans are not very different than, than when we used to be. So the idea here is, I don't know if the if engineered is, is correct. I would say that it's more of a choice. And it's a it's been a portion of our being since day one, which is, okay, well, we can kind of allow things to work 
the way that they should, and we can step back and relinquish control and feel feel good about it. <laughs> or, you know, we can try our our very best to sacrifice certain things to gain more control. I mean, it's like, you know, you, you listen to, like, um, celebrities and such, which are the modern-day heroes in a sense, right? You know, they're not very great people, but they've, you know, acquired wealth, power, and a certain amount of control over the world. And what if they, they, they talk about the sacrifices they make? Yeah, you know, it's the same, same difference. It's, but in this case, you know, maybe they don't realize that there's some sort of cosmic entity behind it. We don't know, you know? But uh, I think this idea of a cosmic entity that we sacrifice things to, to gain power from it, you know, that sort of very basic pattern is still there. And yeah, that same temptation is still there. And, you know, it's like, even if you, if you want to call it addiction or something like that, because there's a reason that liquor is called spirits. And it's, it's that whole idea that, you know, we, we, we give our time to, our, our time, our effort to something that could very well be taking more from us in exchange for something. You know, that's kind of a wandering, meandering answer to your question, but, you know, I, I think it's a lot more broad and, and, and far reaching than just, you know, good good entity want good thing for you bad entity want bad thing for you a lot more shades of gray in there and i think at the end of the day we all have the capacity to go, do good or bad and you know i think more often than not people try to do good yeah as much as you hear otherwise which may or may not be an encouragement to do the latter but you know i i think it's important that we try and, and take control of the things that we can which is ourselves and, and learn more about ourselves rather than giving our time to something that, you know, will eventually destroy us. That's that. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth, Ben. Uh, we do the best we can here. Um, but on that note, we pr- probably should wrap up because we're coming down to the end of the show. Uh, so there are a number of great books uh, by our friend Nick Redfern for sale temporarily at dowsersouthwest.com slash Greater New England UFO Festival, or sorry, Greater New England UFO Conference. Uh, and that's uh, at our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And you can visit that very website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find nearly 1,200 hours of regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Arc- Achieve Radio, and here on WOON AM and FM. Also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Well, on uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, we'll rebroadcast one of two of the Rendlesham Forest case, A New Look with Gary Hesseltine. And we're just about out of time. That was Valerie Valerie LaFasso, my dad, and myself. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal.